0: Seeing Color, a podcast that talks with cultural workers and artists of color in order to expand the area of what is a predominantly white space in the arts. I'm your host, Z1 Chong. Hey everyone, I hope you're doing well as the fall season comes full force. Things have been a bit busy for me, as I've been in the midst of completing three new video works, and it's taking a lot more time than I imagined, but it's been great to just work and kind of think about new ideas and projects. The Mid-Autumn Festival was a nice quick break, and the upcoming national holiday will allow me some extra time to do my own work, so I am looking forward to that. Otherwise, today I have the amazing Fawn Douglas an Indigenous American artist and enrolled member of the Las Vegas Bayou tribe. Fawn is dedicated to the intersections of art, activism, education, identity, place, and sovereignty. Within her art-making and activism, she tells stories in order to remember the past and also to ensure that the stories of Indigenous peoples are heard in the present. Fawn is currently working on her Master's of Fine Arts at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, and co-curates the Vegas Institute of Contemporary Engagement, an artist team that has been the catalyst for exhibitions, podcasts, interviews, performances, and experimentation that makes space for marginalized artists in the Las Vegas community. Fawn and I had a wonderful conversation about call-out culture, cultural accessibility, and giving each other grace. It was moving listening to Fawn discuss her work as a community organizer and her experiences as an activist. As always, take care, and I hope you enjoy this.
1: So I'm a part of Indigenous Women Hike, and we actually took a hike to Peru a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. and then just recently, they're like, you want to go to Nepal? I'm like, oh, I'd love to go to that area, and just to even, you know, dip my toe in that area. Yeah, yeah. It'd be
0: really nice. I mean, yeah, I did not expect to be here, (laughs) to be honest. Oh, really? It was not in my plan, you know, or like possibilities. How's that? To be teaching here and staying here longer than I thought as well. Yeah.
1: Well, I don't know. I feel like this past couple of years or a year and a half has posed um, just new life changes. Like even for us, you uh, know, yeah. I didn't expect to, you know, be owning a, a big art compound and yeah, yeah. <laughs> having my own studio spaces. I mean, sure. Part of the five year plan, but not, you know, now. Yeah, yeah. While I'm working on my master's, it's a bit much, but.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So how's your day been? What's Las Vegas like right now? hot. It's hot. (laughs) It's always hot. It's very hot.
1: Yes. I mean, that's how summers are here in Las Vegas or most of the year anyways, but it's been very warm, but I've been, you know, in the pool for the weekend, which feels really great. And yeah, just trying to enjoy the days and time with my family. And today was pretty much a whirlwind of just a basic day, really just meeting with people, you know, showing my spaces, uh, talking with contractors and, you know, trying to contractors. get... Contractors. Yeah, because we're still building um, on the new Art and Activism Studios. And so three of the buildings are, you know, somewhat complete. But we have this, you know, larger area that's going to be a gallery and multi-use, uh, well, community center space. And so that's going to be the final, you know, one to finish. So we got to meet with the contractors and talk about... You know, all the things, you know, just like tile removal and Mm -hmm. when can Mm -hmm. that be done? All right, we got to order the dumpster. Yeah. All the busy work. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. I I have some questions about the new art center, but before we go there, yeah, I was curious. Yeah, can you talk a little bit about, you know, your background within arts and where you grew up and some of the influences that led you to you know, you as an artist and performer um, today.
1: Okay. Um, yeah. Well, I grew up here in Las Vegas, Nevada. And my tribe's from here. Mm-hmm. So it's the other half of my heart, uh, Las Vegas Paiute tribe. But I wasn't born here. I was actually born in Oklahoma. And that's Oklahoma. The, my father's side. Okay. Yeah. But I, honest, I don't really know too much about it.
0: I went through <laughs> Oklahoma City once. And I think the only thing that was the main attraction seemed to be the uh, uh, basketball stadium.
1: Oh, okay. I think that's where I went. Uh, A couple Uh, years, not a couple years. Now it's like 25 years ago. I went there for Red Earth Festival. It's like a really big powwow. It was super awesome but I really don't remember too much about it because I came out here when I was just a small child with my mom yeah. and yeah growing up here uh, my influences have been you know basically family who've been you know cultural keepers and just growing up in the arts it's been more yeah I've been exposed to the Vegas art scene but also exposed to you know the arts that's from Santa Fe New Mexico I used to visit my aunt Suzanne out there And going to Swaya for Indian art market Mm. in the summers. And, oh, I'd love to go this summer in August, but maybe next year. (laughs) We'll see how, you know, travel's going.
0: Fingers crossed.
1: (laughs) Right? Yeah. Right? So, um, yeah, a lot of my influences have been, you know, mostly uh, female artists. In fact, I'm curating a show this fall that has a lot of my favorites and, You know, people I've really looked up to over the years uh, within the Iwani exhibition at UNLV. Mm. And uh, let me think, other influences just in, in Vegas. Oh, gosh, there's so many of them. I mean, Lance Smith, of course, <laughs> one of them. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> I mean, guess growing up though, like you know, were, were you doing art that whole time? You know, I mean, I know also the other thing that I was thinking about was like performances. You do a lot of these performances, and also whether, you know, you were always performing as a kid. Were you always, uh, you know, doing? different activities, also performing in terms of performing as race and all these in different environments. So, you know, how does that sort of intersect, you know, the way that you're thinking about art?
1: Oh, actually, um, yeah, I started performing uh, in the early 90s, 1990, 1991, even before that uh, in the powwow circle. Mm-hmm. And I don't know whether to call it performance per se, but it's more like cultural. Mm-hmm. Uh, so different dances in the powwow circle. I, I danced a traditional dance, fancy shawl dance and gym jingle dance, and each dance having its own meaning, and one of them is a prayer dance. All of them are very spiritual, and a lot of my work now kind of dissects that a little bit okay. um I have a piece at the Nevada Museum of Art currently called We Don't Dance for Money mm-hmm. uh, because they're well for one the powwow itself is a social dance it's where people get together from different tribes and it's not just limited to Native American people anybody can go to enjoy the the sights the dances the art and everything but I started to you know as an adult just really kind of step back from it a bit and think about my place within the circle and how I feel about the powwow circle because a lot of it has been commodified and very commercialized yeah and the reason to go into the circle is you know for prayer and when you're dancing you're dancing for those that can't dance and so it's a very meditative you know state yeah and a lot of fun but a lot of competition dance has been put into it so you have a lot of these you know amazing dancers going to where there's a bigger prize because of course there's you know a cat prize for first, second, third, mm, okay. what have you. But yeah, so I started to think about it. It's like, you know, it'd be nice if it was just, you know, social powwow only where we just get together and, right. you know, everybody brings some potluck food and we all hang out and there's a couple mm-hmm. giveaways and it's fun. And that's what I love, like the community part of it. So during my performances, I've taken some of those. Uh, so one of the performances you might be familiar with is the Dear, Dear Woman Rising. Mm-hmm. And in that performance piece, uh, I was granted permission from the Las Vegas Paiute Tribe to use our ceremonial grounds where we have our powwows. And Mm. this is last year during COVID. Our powwow, of course, got canceled because of, of COVID. And so I was basically the only person to dance within that arena um at that time for that performance and photographer filmographer artist uh, Crystal Ramirez, she shot me for that mm-hmm. and my daughter accompanied me and we all stayed you know six feet more apart yeah and I use the fancy shawl dance as the dance of emergence so usually it's like this shawl and mm-hmm. it almost mimics like the dances or the movements of a butterfly mm-hmm. when a you know a young woman is emerging but With my dance, uh, I subverted the regalia itself to, like, not be a shawl, but to be ribbons that are hanging in red. Mm -hmm. And my body itself was to inhabit that of the missing and murdered indigenous woman or girl or boys. And so I laid there as a slain woman and rising, you know, coming Mm -hmm. back to life from death. And so I start to rise within these movements and I start to dance again as the drum beat starts to go. And I wanted to embody this and do this, you know, for, to raise awareness for the missing and murdered indigenous women, which is an epidemic right now. Uh, well, it has always been, Yeah. you know, it just gets getting a lot more attention. And I also wanted to do that performance as an act of surviving and, you know, being a, a survivor of sexual violence myself, you know, if I'm a, being a child or a young woman, And, you know, to show that I'm still here, the dance itself ends with myself standing very tall, very proud with my fist in the air. Like I will not be, you know, I will not be shut down. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like I'm still here and I'm still, you know, this powerful female and, you know, I want other people to feel their strength and that there is rising from this pain to something that's more beautiful and that's life. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I mean, and one thing that I'm curious about, I guess, in these performances, so the audiences are shifting, right? So in the powwows that you're doing for your community, and then these performances that you're doing for your arts, right? You know, the community is shifting. And so I'm curious, you know, how do you see that shift happening? You know, how does the community also see that shift happening? And then also, what is the role of documentation in that right, so you know, um, as the audience shifts, the role of documentation also shifts, right? I mean, so, you know, I'm curious, how do you make those decisions? You know, are these documentations of you doing them important, or is it simply the act of doing it important?
1: Well, does performance happen if no one's there to see it? Depends who you talk you know, does to. Does performance happen, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right?
0: Yeah. yeah, I'm curious. I'm curious of your, your views on that, yeah.
1: So while I was in the circle during that moment, I mean, if I would have performed that, I would have performed that to, you know, for myself. Like mm-hmm. I would have been alone in this moment, you know, in movement, and it would have still felt very good to me, for mm. me more for me. And it would have been, you know, closer to ceremony. And in the idea that I'm not alone in that circle, my ancestors are with me. So I have this performance or this, this love letter to them Hmm. and to all, you know, those that are missing or murdered. And, you know, when we do add, you know, filmography, I mean, now, I mean, well, of course we have social media, you know, Facebook, Instagram, you know, all these different outlets to show this and i think it's very important that these things be documented like we have to you know be able to show this and that's why i love what i love about the power of art Mm -hmm. you know whether it's visual whether it's a 2d work that's on the wall or it's something that's happening in real time and it's happening you know on film it's very beautiful and just marks a time like that will always be there Mm -hmm. that will i can always go back to that and see that uh i could always you know revisit it in some way, shape, or form.
0: Yeah. And then, you know, how does your tribe or community uh, see these pieces kind of taken out of context and then, you know, remade into, you know, an art context? How do they kind of view that transformation?
1: You know what? I get some... likes (laughs) likes <laughs> from okay. it
0: okay. you know
1: from tribal community yeah i have some you know family members like oh, okay fawn that was a little odd or <laughs> you know because I, I it might not it. be like what is traditional <laughs> yeah. and i'm dissecting yeah, it in some yeah. ways yeah it's a thin line mm-hmm. you know yeah. to not tread over you know, because there are some things that are very, you know, sacred. There are some teachings that are not to be taught. And Mm -hmm. I have to have respect for those things, even within like, you know, being in the circle for that performance, um, you know, itself. And even though I was just there with Crystal and my daughter, Soul, Mm -hmm. there was also like, all right, you know, make sure that, you know, these are not the views of the tribe, that these are the views of the artist, Mm. (laughs) you know, even though, like, of course, you know, you know, Like we all stand behind, you know, what that movement is and what that messaging is. But, you know, it's like I have to tread carefully. And, you know, sometimes these things take a a talk with my elders, you know, like, hey, what do you think of this? Or I did this and, you know, just kind of getting some input from some other people. And usually it's positive, but there's always like the disclaimer and the warning because mm. we do have our cultural protocols too.
0: Right. And also, you know, I think, you know, once we're dealing with appropriation, you know, like you said, the line is very thin and also the feelings are very strong and, you know, no group is a monolith. So there's always going to be people who agree with it and disagree with it. You know, and I think, you know, you dealt with this sort of in an interesting sort of way with appropriation. I think you, you know, I think you mentioned your influence by, you know, um, Justin Bella and his art people podcast and thinking about call out culture and having discussions. And I think you know, I was thinking a lot about that as you're talking about you talking with different people in your community, asking them what they think and sort of having this discussion. Um, and yeah, can you talk more about appropriation It's such a complicated, I mean, in some ways, it's not complicated love it's just discussion, but you know, ha- where these lines are created and how you deal with them as you're working with these topics, which are so embedded in culture and history, and trauma.
1: Oh, yes. Embedded in trauma. <laughs> when, we, when we think about things, when we see appropriation, it usually comes from a place of hurt. Like, wow, this image or this what's happening before me is is hurting me. I'm feeling like lashing out. I'm feeling the anger. And then it just takes like a stepping back. Like, OK, why is it that I'm so angry? Yeah. Where are my words? How do I feel about this? And even when I did, um, you know, just thinking about call out culture, because I definitely have, you know, partaked in it. I I have and I feel um, not great about that, you know, but there is a you know, I'm a human. Yeah. And I'm growing and I've definitely learned from it. And specifically when we had the cultural appropriation workshop at the Las Vegas Indian Center, I called out a friend of mine Mm. and I saw that he was doing this, you know, tribal festival. It was Mm. just like this big cultural appropriation festival. It was just really terrible. And I'm just like, oh my gosh. Like, and I was like, all right, I'm gonna share this. I'm gonna leave this here. And then I just let everybody else attack him on my Facebook page. And it was really mean spirited. And it made me feel Mm. like just gross. Yeah. I, I didn't feel good about myself to be honest. Like just you know, calling him out in that way. And so it's just like, you know, I had to circle it back and I was listening to Justin (laughs) Favela's podcast. And one of the discussions on there was just like, you know, we need to call people in this is what you know needs to be done you know call out is over it's it's time to call people in and so i was like oh that's interesting i just you know heard that within the same yeah. time as all this is happening and yeah. it was it was very serendipitous and so you know in discussions with some close friends we were like you know let we have to call him in let's do this and so we had this forum and it was packed it was beautiful, and we all spoke, and we gave the elders time to speak, and then the women spoke, and then, you know, people went around the room. There was so many tears. Mm-hmm. There was so many tears, and people, and even people coming from the point, like, I don't know where I come from. I, I just know that I am. Mm-hmm. And there was so many issues of identity that were going on, and at the end of it, just, you know, well, let me shift back to the beginning. At the mm-hmm. beginning of it, I admitted to things that I had done wrong, mm. you know, because I am not the voice of all Native people. Right. I am not the voice of, you know, every single, you know, tribe, you know, I'm, I'm the voice of me. And so I wanted to be able to open it up because a lot of people were looking up to me like, you know, I'm this uh, cultural leader, you know, in Las Vegas and I have, you know, stood for the mountains, the, the waters, you know, you know, different land protection issues and things that are happening. And so people were looking up to me. And so I was like, you know, this is really the place to just say, you know, the things that I had done wrong. So I opened it up that way and I I disgusted some of my friends. I saw my friend, uh, I don't want to say her name, but she was across the room when I was saying, you know, like, Hey, I I had done something really wrong. Mm. I had, you know, Uh, taking a picture of these eagle feathers while I was cleaning them. Hmm. So that is a very sacred, very private, private thing. But the way that the feathers were floating downwards, Mm. as an artist, it looked very beautiful to me. Mm -hmm. So I shared that picture on Instagram, since deleted, of course, a long time ago. But uh, I was talking about that, you know, and and I was like, that was not right. And so, and I saw her like, oh my God, you did that. Uh." (laughs) It was just like... (laughs) And I was like, yes. And I had also done this and and this. And so I just laid it out to where, you know, it really simmered the room because I guess people were coming to really go after this man and go after the festival, you know, promoters or the people. But we opened it up to talk because we really needed to talk. I mean, a lot of these things have gone by just so often, and maybe I've just let it go so often, too, to where people thought, you know, oh, that's a mm. friend of Fon's. It's It must be okay then. Yeah. And and it wasn't. And at the heart of it is just like, why does this hurt? Right. Why it, do I feel this in my Blood. I feel this heat, and it feels awful. Yeah. But it was really the start to, you know, what we wanted to do uh, more of, and it's to have these forums on talking about identity, because we have so many people in our community. I mean, even though I come from a tribe of 56, you know, tribal members enrolled Las Vegas Paiute Tribe, there are over 50,000 hmm. Native Americans that live in Las Vegas from so many different nations, so many tribes, from all the way up in Alaska to all the way down in Florida and people who are really just uh, disconnected from their cultures, disconnected from their homelands. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, so many people have come here to find a life, you know, whether that's through like construction or schooling or just, you know, career. Right. And uh, our population is just huge. And we have a lot of people who are just seeking those answers too. So it's like, why would I want to tear someone down who is merely just trying to learn?
0: Right, right. Yeah, I mean, and it's complicated, like you said, because it takes time, it takes effort, right? And I think part of the attractiveness for the sort of call out culture is the easiness in which you can do it, right? You don't have to spend the time to have these discussions, right? I think the work that you're talking about, you know, gathering people together, letting yourself be vulnerable, and letting these sort of traumas kind of happen. And also, having the good faith for whoever is doing this to also assume that they're listening as well, right? And so all these things sort of need to come together in order for this kind of moving forward to happen. And I think that's sort of where it gets really strange and weird in this, you know, social media world that we now live in, where you can easily have these kind of quick conversations without much thought to people that you may or may not even know, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. I mean, there's so many different things that you do. You know, one thing that I'm also thinking about. I guess when you were younger, were you also kind of drawing and were you painting or I guess going to school for art? You know, how did your family kind of think about that?
1: You know, my, my family has always supported the arts. It's something that's within our blood. And the funny thing is I'm the one who strayed away from it. Oh, really? I figured, well, <laughs> yeah, I didn't think I can get a job in the arts, to be honest. Mm. So the early part of my college career was uh, communications, marketing, business, And, you know, just going through the classes, going through it Mm. and not feeling, you know, very energized about it. It was just like I knew I had to do something because, of course, I'm going to need a career in something. And I didn't think that was that art was going to be it, Mm. even though that's like who I am to the core. (laughs) And so, um, only as an adult that I really just kind of, you know, go back and like, no, I'm going to get my bachelor's and I got my, my BA in, in art at UNLV in 2015. Mm. And I'm currently working on my master's now. Yeah, And it's just the best move I've ever made especially with education and especially now just learning about all these other careers that are open and available, you know, to artists. I I really don't think we talk about it enough. I mean, there's, when people think artists, it's like, all right, somebody painting something at an event and maybe they sell it, maybe someone bids on Uh it and and that's that. Uh But no, there's so many different careers that can be involved in that. And I'm also learning that through, you know, working with Meow Wolf too. And, you know, just being with them the past couple of years and learning about all these different avenues you can go through with talent. I mean, from, you know, murals to creative direction. I mean, there's so many things.
0: How did you get involved with Meow Wolf? Oh, and also for the listeners, if you don't know what Meow Wolf is, it's like this strange cult art installation thing, right? That's the best way I can describe it. (laughs) I visited the one in New Mexico, the one that started out in Santa Fe, and I know they're expanding, but yeah, could you talk a little bit about Meow Wolf? How'd you get into that whole thing? And what's that been like?
1: Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah, actually, I was referred a couple of years ago. I'm pretty much two years in, uh, maybe a little longer. And I got involved with the community outreach and just connecting Meow Wolf to the Las Vegas community. And then it, that started to morph and change. And just this year, my title moved from community outreach to cultural specialist. Hmm. And uh, with that, I've been connecting. It's like my job has expanded a little bit from Las Vegas to Fe to Denver
0: oh, wow. and
1: helping out with the, so I've, I've done trainings within Meow for cultural appropriation. In fact, I'm also cleaning that up and, That's amazing. and doing another one. Thank you. It's it's so fun, you know, because we have those conversations, the tough ones, the right. really tough conversations, but I really enjoy those conversations and that hard work. I mean, it's like one, the cancel culture. Somebody could like, nope, F that. I don't like it. You know, I'm done with them, mm-hmm. but I'm a person who likes to go and it's like, actually, I'm seeing growth here. What can we do to move this forward hmm. and so uh, yeah my part is you know like with building the land acknowledgements wherever Meow Wolf is I helped uh, direct and produce the opening ceremony at Omega Mart mm-hmm. uh, which involved our tribal leaders uh, from Las Vegas Paiute to Moapa Band of Paiutes the director of the Las Vegas Indian Center did a invocation and opening prayer we had some dancers because we're still in COVID it was you know really small but it was an intimate gathering mm-hmm. and opening that I was so proud Of so super proud of because it's one thing to you know do a land acknowledgement. I mean, land acknowledgements are nothing without actions Mm -hmm. or words behind them, yeah. And that has really grown to you know what we're going to be doing and how we're expanding too, like even to you know just cultural um, accessibility, like in the Denver. Meow Wolf, we're going to have, you know, like just imagine, you know, when it says the bathroom, it is like bathroom, baño, and then you will have the Arap- the Arapaho word for bathroom, hmm. you know, so there's that cultural accessibility piece. And currently I'm mentoring some students from the Institute of American Indian Arts mm-hmm. and University of New Mexico. And most of the students are predominantly um, indigenous peoples right. and they're artists and they're amazing, and so, wow. yeah, it's our first internship program with Meow Wolf, and most of them are there in Santa Fe at the House of Eternal Return or the Cats or Caterpillar Building, and they're learning so much. I've been checking in with them each week, and each week is just like they're living the dream, is what I'm hearing, mm. you know, just being around, you know, this creative world and this underworld of, of Meow Wolf, right. and it's been a lot of fun. It's been a lot of fun. I, I really enjoyed that, and I'm on the... I team as well, which is intersectionality, diversity, equity, and inclusion. And see, did I say that right? (laughs) Idea. But uh, but yeah, I, I really enjoy that and enjoy the trainings and just The possibilities, the possibilities of where this can be and where this can go, because of course, like all museums and art spaces are, you know, really revisiting just like, you know, who they are and where they are, you know, in this time of George Floyd, in this time of the pandemic, it's just been an awakening. And it's nice to be, you know, somewhere to where you're being seen and heard and that the work is is valid and going to be, you know, moving things into the further future.
0: Yeah. And let's hope that it keeps doing that. Right. I mean, you've been able to actually be part of it. So it's been really great. Yeah. I mean, I'm really curious about, you know, your appropriation training, your diversity training and how that's been like, you know, and how do you sort of frame these such complicated, huge topics in a sort of group setting? And how do you kind of I'm curious because I don't think I've ever had to design a training course like that ever.
1: (laughs) Well, it's a lot of fun. It's not shy of things I haven't already done. I feel like everything that I've done has intersected in some way. Somehow, So I've had the tools and I've had some amazing mentors too. And, you know, when it comes to uh, working like in that field, it's, you know, you're also surrounded by others who've been working in this field right. for a very long time. Right, right. And, you know, just wanting to like even expand like that. So there's more people of color that are working there. Mm. And I'm, I'm really proud of that. I was a part of the hiring process and, you know, really going through. right. right. And making sure that people like in our city are informed about, you know, the opportunities that are available, and we just got past, uh, I think, fifty-seven percent uh, people of color that are working within Yawal yeah, well, Vegas.
0: Really, that's amazing. Uh,
1: yeah, yeah, I'm super proud of that.
0: <laughs> yeah, and so something, that, a thread that I've been that I, you know I see throughout all your different works, and also as you're talking about it, sort of as your work as a community organizer, and could you talk a little bit about how you got into community organizing, and you know the different kind of projects that helped inform. You know, all the different work that you've been doing, because, you know, you've been doing this for years. And I'm curious how you got into it.
1: Ah, Just a a care and a passion for what's around me. So a lot of it is very um, these indigenous lands uh, centric, like Red Rock. Uh, So, Mm -hmm. all right, you're not in Las Vegas, but here in Las Vegas, Nevada, there's an area to the west called Red Rock. And all of this area is, you know, the ancestral lands of the Southern Pai'i people. So we have our histories written on these walls, Mm -hmm. you know, through the petroglyphs, the pictographs. It's all a part of our cultural landscapes with our salt songs, our ceremonial songs. And so when it comes to, you know, caring about this area, it's like, well, shoot, some people are, you know, scratching their names over these beautiful writings really? that are, yeah, that are like hundreds and thousands of years old. And it wasn't too long ago that at Gold Butte, you know, people were using the petroglyphs as target practice.
0: That's so And so up.
1: it came from a place of uh, heartbreak and anger. Yeah. And oh, no, this is this is pretty fucked up and so we need to do something about this and so I started to you know learn more about the histories of the area because again like I'm not a monolith I don't know every single thing about everything right I'm a student to be learning about that every day for the rest of my life. Yeah. But what I was learning is that this is, you know, our traditional homelands and they're being destroyed. So it's, you know, taking a stance against it. And also, you know, meeting like-minded people that feel the same, you know, that really call, you know, Southern Nevada home that mm-hmm. care about the deserts and these right. places. Right, right. And, you know, having a cultural sharing of the, like, you know, why these places are so important. So I got involved with, you know, being, a speaker for the lands and the waters, you know, not a speaker for the tribe because our tribal council, our elected officials do that for us. Mm -hmm. But, you know, really just speaking from my point of view and, and letting that be heard through my art as well, you know, whether it's 2d or whatever that may be. And so, um, you know, after that was happening, then standing rock was happening. Yeah. And I was seeing that that was of course another heartbreaking you know, moment when it was unfolding. Mm -hmm. And so I started to lead, you know, like, all right, let's have a discussion uh, about this. What can we do about this as a community? Mm -hmm. And so I rented the Paiute Multipurpose and, uh, you know, with a couple of friends and we're like, you know, let's have a conversation. Let's put it out there on social media, see who wants to show up and see where, you know, where Vegas stands on this and yeah. what we could do. I seriously expected maybe 20 people to show yeah, up. Yeah, if I
0: did something like that, I'd expect the same thing, <laughs> maybe less. <laughs> I wouldn't have the confidence no, but, to arrange to kind of do that sort of event.
1: No, I, I expected 20 people and there had to be like at least 200 plus people the wow,
0: that's amazing
1: pulling out all the chairs i'm like oh there's more people coming wow. so we're like lining up more and more chairs yeah yeah, and yeah that was filled and people were standing room only they're all hanging out the doors and yeah. i'm like all right and so i had the moment to speak and i was just reading basically what the ocheti sacoan um and please excuse my pronunciation of that uh, Uh, but what the camp was putting out and, Mm -hmm. you know, like, okay, here's the updates and let's get together. Let's do a fundraiser. You know, like we want to get some supplies out there. And so everybody started to talk about like how they can, you know, help and support. And yeah, I've just been about it since uh, really. And it's only the past couple years that I've really just kind of like, not, I don't want to say slowed down on it, But, you know, my work and my activism has moved more from, you know, like being this on the streets.
0: Right, right. right. And,
1: you know, with the signs, but to, you know, doing more activism, like, all right, who's the Congress people we need to speak to about changing a bill?
0: Right.
1: Where can I can I lend my voice to, you know, where it'll be heard for this reason? Yeah. Um, how can we get more support? And so it's just evolved. Yeah. And last year my heart like honestly couldn't take a lot of it. Mm. Like I physically was getting Pains in my heart, you know, just like uh, standing up for, you know, the MMIW or against a pipeline mm-hmm. and being met with like, you know, these proud boys during the Trump era Jeez. and my anger. And I don't want to say fear, but it was more like an adrenaline rush. Like, wow, what is this person going to do? I'm standing here because of these, you know, women who are being killed by the pipelines. And this person's waving a Trump flag in my face, like basically, fuck you.
0: Mm. So the proud boys are showing up to the pipeline as anti
1: Um Yes, they did last year. Uh. They showed up to an action we had on on Fremont Street. It was really ugly.
0: Yeah.
1: And you know, I acted unafraid. I laughed and you know because they like to act very macho. Yeah. It's very the patriarchy mm-hmm. is thick.
0: Yeah, yeah. It is very very Especially thick. With so the, yeah. I
1: yeah, so I just laughed at them and it really pissed them off. And I just laughed and kind of pointed. Me and a friend acted like we we're laughing at them yeah, yeah. as a way to protest, yeah, too. Yeah. And they were just, it was just really angering them. Mm-hmm. But it was also like my hands are shaking. And I was just like, this feels so negative. And one yeah. of my friends who doesn't really come out much, she's like, hey, girl, I want to support you in these things, but I think that'll be my last one. <laughs> <laughs> that was really heavy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, and I didn't even realize it back then, but I was Probably silently thinking, I was like, you know what? Me too. Yeah, It wasn't doing anything for my spirit right. except like, you know, just kind of tearing it down. It was like, there's other ways, there's other ways to show up. Right. And there's other ways to be present. And so like, you know, what, what do we need? Like, what are the community needs? Yeah. And when everything was happening, that's when the art centers were really coming about it was honestly a part of my five-year plan yeah not like starting last year <laughs> with all of the stuff that was happening yeah. but my partner saw this uh, synagogue that was for sale and had some adjoining buildings in the historic Huntridge neighborhood and she's like you know we could build a community center the art studios the gallery like all that you wanted and I was yeah, yeah. like please not now <laughs> Like, that's, <laughs> I'm, I'm in grad school. Like, don't do not do this to me. But just like, uh, as all of that was happening, the COVID entered our, our city and, right. you know, things just started to get really, really bad. I mean, the racism was thick. There was a lot of things. It was like a perfect storm of things that can happen that would just break you. But we have, you know, stood up and said, all right, like, what can we do long-term? Right. Because we're educators, too. Right. My partner and myself. And what can we do You know, we really love what was happening with the call in, you know, with the talking about cultural identity and appropriation. And we wanted to do more of that. And we want to keep having these forums. We want to keep educating and, you know, spreading the arts and, you know, really putting our message that way. And, you know, what's going to happen when, of course, the arts community in Las Vegas was hit really hard last year. Yeah. Um, how are our artists or even people of color? Uh, mind you, the, the art spaces are not limited to people of color. It's anyone. But how are we going to get through this? And so we just took a chance and we started to refurbish these places and, and we got them all filled with artists and nonprofit organizations.
0: How many places did you refurbish?
1: Um, well, it's uh, four buildings. Oh, wow and and lot. three of them have uh, basically eight studios so there are eight studios and each one is filled with artists and activists wow. and that makes up the Numu Art and Activism Studios Right.
0: So are you renting the spaces or they were on sale? How did hap- you get a hold of these four wonderful spaces?
1: Yeah, my partner and I we, we purchased them um, last year when we were seeing the need and seeing everything unfold, we knew we wanted to do it and he's the one who initially saw these buildings mm-hmm. and and I was like, "Ugh, <laughs> they were in really bad shape. <laughs> they're, uh, you know, they're basically squatter places for like a couple years." And okay. he's like, "Well, let's just take a look at it. You know, we we could fix them if we needed to." And I was like, "Oh, okay. Let's just. I mean, yeah. what, what's the hurt? What's the harm? Let's go look at it." And so there was a hole in the roof, hmm. and so it was like basically was- <laughs> a complete.
0: You had to completely redo the whole thing.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it felt like you're walking in a fun house because there were older homes, like 1954. Mm -hmm. Two of the buildings are 1954. And then the the main larger building that's going to be the gallery and community center space is, you know, Mm -hmm. 1985. But because of the older buildings, the flooring was all messed up. Mm -hmm. It felt like you're walking in a fun house. There's different levels of (laughs) layers of floor. And they were just a mess. They were just really tore up. And so we just took a look at our savings and we thought about it. We're like, look, we can't afford what they're asking and they won't sell these buildings separately. Okay. But let's just throw it out there and see like, you know, if they'll take our offer. And then of course, COVID was happening and things are just, you know, going a certain direction last year. And then the people called us back and said, we'll take your offer. Uh, and wow. so I was shocked and I was like, all right, I guess this is going to be what we're doing now. We're going to, yeah. <laughs> I was seriously scared. I'm going to be honest. I was.
0: <laughs> you never uh, refurbished a house before, right? Because I, I haven't either. Well, I, I oh, have, oh, have actually. Oh, you have. Oh, okay.
1: Yeah. Yeah. My partner and I, we have before we uh, moved in together, you know, I had, you know, fixed my and repaired my my Paradise Palms house. Uh So it's also a mid-century modern home. Yeah. And he was repairing his, um, you know, condo. And yeah, like over time, like we just had, you know, knew some really good contractors and peoples. And yeah. And decided like, okay, we're going to do this. We're going to fix them up. And we did a lot of the grunt work. So, you know, it's like the professionals come in and do their thing. But we're the ones who are just like you know, getting buckets of dirty water and pouring it somewhere or going to the lumber yard and picking up the wood and hauling it back in.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. I mean, you know, I think it's really impressive all the different ways that you're kind of tackling, like you said, the sort of art and activism and community building that you're doing. And I think it's amazing work and also shows just how many different ways you need to kind of tackle the problem right it's not just one sort of a path that you have to take right and so i guess what are the sort of future plans for new art center like when when will it officially open you know what is sort of the programming that you have in mind i know you had you know the initial concept for like having these sort of gatherings but like how you imagine this to you know transform and evolve
1: uh yeah so we're um hoping to open up the gallery community center in the fall okay that's the hopes are crossing our fingers um (laughs) you know because we've of course you know ran into a few like speed bumps here and there yeah but yeah so we're not officially open but some of the artists that are in the studios like you know they have their own spaces open by appointment like brent holmes and ashanti mcgee they have the mesa gallery
0: yeah i just interviewed brent and ashanti will come i think in a month or so
1: oh yay (laughs) oh my god i love them they're so cool (laughs) but uh yeah yeah so in the future we're going to be opening that up so hopefully we're going to you know, start planning for programming next year. Yeah. And, you know, just kind of take it day by day and step by step. Um, even in the midst of this, because my partner, myself, we do have the NUWU Art um, LLC, uh-huh. but we've also created uh, a nonprofit organization that's Indigenous AF. Yeah. And Indigenous <laughs> AF stands for many things, yeah. many things, like uh, Indigenous Arts Facilities. <laughs> yeah, sure. Indigenous Afrofuturisms.
0: Uh-huh, Yeah.
1: indigenous uh, arts friends
0: yeah (laughs) <laughs> all the things, all the things, but you know, we
1: want to be able to give back to the community and to be able to, you know, sponsor or assist other programs that are happening because there, there are a lot of wonderful people, um, who are not nonprofits, but who are, you know, professionals in their field that are doing amazing things mm. in the city. And we want to be able to, to support what those things are. So we want to be, you know, we want to be more yeah. and our website's going to be up, uh, pretty soon to, to be able to, you know, lean into what that is because again we want to definitely lean into the educational components. Yeah. We want to be able to really serve the arts. Yeah. And what shape and form is that going to be? Is it just cultural arts? Uh no. It's going to be so many things. Yeah. And so, you know, stay tuned for some growth on that.
0: Yeah. I mean I think and I'm sort of amazed. So you're like you're able to juggle all these different things. You're like doing an MFA you know, you have a daughter, mm-hmm. you're doing construction on an arts community center, and you're also, you know, doing all these different classes and workshops on, you know, anti-racism and appropriation. How do you, you know, juggle all these things? You know, I ask because I, I have trouble juggling, I feel like, just my job and <laughs> life, and then struggle to, like, put the art in you know, that, and somehow you're, like, doing all these different things, you know, and it's, it's amazing. So how do you juggle all of them?
1: Well, the secret is that they're all connected. Hmm. Everything I'm doing is connected in somehow, some way. It all supports each other in some way, shape or form. It's all about my, my passions, uh, what I love, the community, the people, the arts, education. Yeah, It, it all has those components. And everything just seems to go together in some way, you know, shape or form. That's how it lives. Yeah. And I don't know why I refer to myself as it, like I'm this thing, <laughs> but, but that's how this this machine works. <laughs> and, and just going through the Master of Fine Arts program at UNLV as well, I mean, I've been... Uh, oh my gosh, uh, working with Wendy Kavek has been amazing. Mm-hmm. And I've been guided through a lot of different things. I've been able to to discuss issues with her or with other colleagues mm-hmm. and, you know, being able to, uh, you know, really dissect some issues or, you know, just talk them out. And she's like, well, how is this done? Well, this is how, you know, look at this. And right. so I've been guided in many ways. I right. didn't just wake up and like, all right, I have all the answers. Mm. It's more like, oh, uh, I wait, woke up and made all the mistakes and yeah. I've learned, you know, <laughs> and lived through them. Yeah. But the master's program has been just phenomenal for me. I have really, really amazing cohort, And I've been leaning more administrative because, of course, you know, with our own art centers, I want to learn right. all the things. Right, right, and right. So, you know, with us, you know, going to be starting our gallery space too. I want to know how to do these things. We've already been, you know, doing our budget, uh, doing everything we need to. Yeah. But I want to make sure that I'm handling things in the right way, that I have a, a clear timeline, mm. that I know what curating is and what it entails. You know, and I'm learning those things also, like just uh, even designing and curating the Awani exhibition that's coming up this fall, Mm. which is going to be my baby. And I'm just so looking forward to it.
0: (laughs) Can you talk a little bit more about it?
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, So, Awani means balance in the Southern Paiute language. And um, so, I've curated, there's going to be 10 of us artists that are a part of it. And, you know, Many of these women, all of these women, I look up to very much. And they're all just different indigenous artists, female artists from the Southwest. There's Kara Romero, Rose B. Simpson, Mm -hmm. uh, Jean Lamar, Shelby Westica, Noel Garcia, uh, Loretta Burden. And let me see who else. uh, Natani Noda.
0: I recognize a few of those (laughs) names.
1: Yeah, there's there's a lot. Of, and it's going to be really amazing. It's going to be at the Donna Beam Gallery. Okay. The exhibition goes on from November 1st to December 10th. Okay. And there's also going to be a symposium with it as well at the Barrick Museum of Fine Art. Okay. And the symposium is going to be taking place on November 5th. And yes, in the Visiting Artist Lecture Series that the um, the school already has, um, one of the artists, Cara Romero, she's going to be a part of the artist talk oh, nice. on that Thursday night, November 4th. So there's there's a lot going on, but uh, I'm learning so much from Jerry Sheffick and Wendy Kavek, uh, just about everything. Yeah. Grant writing. So I was like, all right, I want to learn about grant writing. So yeah. we're going to write some grants. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so we got uh, West Staff is going to be a sponsor Uh, We got a West Staff grant to bring this together and the College of Fine Arts is supporting it too, um, as well as our Native American Alumni Club, Uh, the Nevada Museum of Art is going to be a partner. And I just met with Michael this morning, so I'm hoping Black Mountain Institute is going to join us as well. But we have so many amazing community partners. I mean, Vegas is really like when you really think about it, it's very rich. Yeah, very rich in in community, uh, you know, people, community partners, and people that just want to support the arts and, and the humanities yeah. and things that are happening here. So it's going to be the event for Native Heritage Month.
0: Yeah, that's what a lot of people have been telling me. They've been saying that Vegas as an art scene is quite open and young and willing to kind of accept all these different notions of what art can be as a young art community compared to, you know, these sort of older established art centers like New York and LA. And yeah, people have been like talking a lot about, you know, how wonderful it is to meet different people and how easy it is to also meet people in the art scene in Vegas. So, um, and in that sense, you know, I feel a little um, sad that I was not able to come to Vegas and have to do all of this virtually.
1: But I'm sure you'll be able to come to Vegas, you know, sometime in the future. And then by then, you know, you'll be able to see the spaces too.
0: I would love to. Yeah. And then I guess going back to one last question, since you're doing your MFA during these sort of times of COVID, everything is sort of virtual kind of like this, my, my residency. <laughs> and, uh, you know, how has that been? You know, and I say this also as an educator, because I've been finding it quite difficult in the early parts when I was teaching virtually. It was like, wow, this is quite hard. And, and I feel bad for the students also in the sense that like, I mean, it's a lot of the studio classes have been hard. It's been hard having discussions on the screen. And so, you know, how has that experience been as a master's student doing things virtually?
1: Well, you have to be creative, that's for sure. Yes, well. <laughs> because I, I was teaching Art 101. Oh, yeah? And, you were? Uh, Yeah, and that's oh, supposed yeah. to be a studio class. Yeah, yeah, we're supposed to be yeah. in a circle. We put the yeah. things in the middle. We all yeah, draw. I, yeah, and yeah, I would walk yeah. around and check on the students and see how they're yeah. doing. So all of that is to the screen. Yeah. And so I had to basically Bob Rossett and draw <laughs> with them. So, <laughs> And I was the calming voice, like, all right, so how are you guys doing today? Awesome. What was your weekend like? And just, you know, like just talking with them and having a conversation yeah. and, you know, talking about self-care mm-hmm. and things that I've done for self-care. So I was getting to know them on a more personal level because, you know, we can't be with each other physically. Yeah, yeah. But at least let me give my, you know, some more of myself you know, so we could be more, um, just get a little closer. Mm-hmm. And some of them were able to connect, you know, by similar things that they were teaching, or not teaching, but learning at UNLV. It's like, oh, um, you know, nursing students, oh, we've got a couple here. So they got to mm-hmm. connect with each other. And, you know, some of them were saying it was just sad that they're not getting the college experience. And I told him, I was like, you know, I'm also a student with you too. So I feel that and, you know, I'm sorry, but it'll get better. And, you know, right now we're just being safe and just think of how wonderful it's going to be when all of this is over, you know, and your and your drawings are looking great. I really like what you do with the charcoal here and just, you know, start to talk about their work. And we would critique together in the the Zoom screen or the WebEx screen and just, you know, keep it light Keep it light and uh, give each other mm-hmm. grace.
0: Yeah, if you want, I, that sounds like a good place to end. Diat, uh, is there anything else that you want to talk about that I miss? I feel like we talked about a lot of different things.
1: I did talk <laughs> about a lot of things. That was fun. Yeah. <laughs> do,
0: you want, do you want to let people yeah. know uh, where they can find you online and all the different work that you're doing?
1: Um, yeah. Thank you. You um, see, on www.nuwuart.com. And Woo Arts is my handle for Twitter and Instagram. And yeah, you can find me on Instagram mostly. <laughs> I post a lot there and I give little snippets and you can see some pictures of our, our centers with some of the pages. And yeah, I have a lot of fun there. Share a lot of information about different things that are happening locally or just how I'm doing for the day. Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And then you have your fall exhibition that you're curating coming up. And then hopefully, like you said, the art center will be opening in the fall with a lecture series. So yeah, so everyone keep an eye out on that and I'll keep you all posted. Um and yeah, thank you so much, Fawn, for, you know, chatting with me and telling us, you know, how to be, you know, an activist, artist, community organizer, and you know, wonderful human being.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time with me too.
0: All right. Well, take care. Bye. Bye. Seeing color is recorded, edited, and produced by myself, Wan Chung. Additional help with editing by Tokyo Home and Mandy Tong. Original music by Alex Chow. You can find more information on the website www.seeingcolorpod.com or on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook under the handle Pod. If you enjoyed this show and have the time, I'd appreciate if you could go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and give Seeing Color a five-star review. This really helps others discover the show and gives greater visibility for everyone on Seeing Color. Again, thank you so much for listening and goodbye for now.